Hey, did you know? <clears throat> oh, geez, sorry. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Oh, real professional over here. Hey, did you know that if you become one of our patrons on Patreon, you can get our episodes a week earlier than everybody else? It's true. In fact, if you go and become a patron right now for as little as $2 a month, you can get another episode that comes out the same day as this episode. In fact, right now, waiting for you over on patreon.com forward slash YG2D or find the link in our show notes, you'll get an episode with Krista St. Germain, a mastered certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom Podcast. Go get it. You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. This is, this is actually for all you pets out there. You're going to love this episode. If you are a pet, listen up. This one's for you. And all you pet owners, I, I mean, you, you might as well listen in too. I think you'll appreciate it. I love this episode for you animal lovers out there. I love it. I love it for you lovers of animals. Let's just get to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. I am your host, Ned Buskirk. This is your creatively conscious mortality podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, you know, we just have conversations, I do, with our guests about the creative ways these humans that honor us with their presence on the show, deal with loss in their lives. And Dr. Joanne Cacciatore is no exception. Love talking to Joanne, and I think I'm maxed out on my level of wanting to have a pet, finally. Haven't had a pet, have fish. You may have heard me talk about the fish. They're hard to snuggle. I'll tell you that my daughter, <laughs> my daughter was playing in the snow uh, a, a while back, maybe last winter, and uh, having a blast. And she was like, "Oh, I just wish Cherry could be here with me." Um, Cherry is her pet fish. So yeah, we we're in dire need of a furry friend, and I've been feeling that for a while, maybe more than ever in my life. Maybe a cat, maybe a dog, feeling some part of my life where I want that companionship. And Dr. Joanne Cacciatore definitely helped me feel that uh, definitively more. Dr. Joanne Cacciatore is a bereaved mother and the founder of the Miss Foundation, an international NGO that serves families whose children have died, and the Sela Care Farm, a sustainable restorative community that provides aid to anyone suffering traumatic grief. She's also a professor and senior scholar in the Wrigley Institute of Sustainability at Arizona State University, spearheading the Graduate Certificate in Trauma and Bereavement. 
Her best-selling book, Burying the Unbearable, Love, Loss, and the Heartbreaking Path of Grief, is a national award-winning bestseller that has helped revolutionize the way our culture thinks and feels about grief. She works with and counsels families from all around the world who have experienced catastrophic deaths. She served on Oprah and Prince Harry's mental health advisory board for several years and was featured in their docuseries, The Me You Can't See. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Dr. Joanne Cacciatore. It's very easy to avert our gaze from catastrophic loss, from the depth of that kind of suffering, from from the kind of grief that makes others run the other direction in the grocery store, right? Um, so thank you for feeling it deeply and being open to that because not everyone is. And yet there's such a, I think it was Lawrence Durrell who said, you know, that in each of us is, is, is the scream, this primal longing for um, tenderness. And we do live in a world that lacks tenderness. We do live in a world that is, as I say in um, my book, Bearing the Unbearable, I talk about the happiness cult. We do live in a world with happiness pushers and everyone wants us to feel good all the time. And that does not give us an opportunity to access our own tenderness or the tenderness of others. Um, and so, so thank you again. And also, yeah, it, I call it, you know, my heart, I say in 1994, my heart shattered open. And millions of pieces of my heart shattered and landed in the world. And that's my job is to go out and tend to those places. And and I will die doing that, I'm sure. I don't know when I'll die. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I could die. <laughs> I could die on, on my way to my next appointment. Um, I could die when I'm 110. Who knows? Um, but I know that this work is so important that I'll be doing it until I can no longer do it anymore. Yeah, I really relate to that. I mean, maybe too, you think about like, as we get older, even into the elder stage of our life, I almost feel like I'll be more active than ever. I mean, I hope doing this work from that perspective, you know, uh, if I'm blessed enough to live that long, but totally uh, relate to that sentiment for sure. Um, well, when you've been called to this, you can't do anything else. You cannot, it is impossible to do anything else. I want to stick with that actually, because, you know, there's a difference between someone having, well, well first, I, there's something I want to say first before I pull on that thread. The first thing I want to say to Dr. Joe is that I am feeling emotional because especially when I was reading the, the open letter that's on your website, the open letter to, uh, grievers, um, I was feeling the, like, I, I understand loss. I've been through so much of it and there's something so specific and unreachable for me on uh, what it means to lose a child. And so it was like, I was feeling this tenderness too, because of that, like, thing being out of reach. And I love your writing because it brings me what I think, uh, 
um, is closer to it. And I kind of want to stay with that moment. It is an acknowledgement and it's like uh, this question I have, like how in the world in, in it, how in the world in your life and work have you been able to, to somehow express that shattering that happened? It's almost like, what, what are those ways you've been able to like articulate it best and no one will ever understand unless they've been through it themselves. What words do you think get someone closer that just hasn't lived through that kind of loss? I mean, I think the only way is to fully inhabit your grief, no self-protection, you know, no avoidance, no trepidation, you know, but there are some contingencies there. And the contingencies is for that is that we have to have good support. We have to learn to trust ourselves with very, very big feelings, lots of very big feelings. And we have to be willing to, to feel those feelings. And that's, and it can be terrifying because it feels like it's an annihilation and it is an annihilation. Your former self, your former life, your former identity is dead. You're not, you'll never, I'll, I'll never be July 27th, 1994 was the moment that I changed fundamentally Mm. in every way. I will never be who I once was not in the same way I can't be. And I don't want to be because I've been marked by something very, very big. And so I think when people want to like write or they want to journal or they want to express themselves or they want to write a book, um, I mean, I think, I think it's very tempting to, to write a book about meaning and it's very tempting to write a inspirational story. And what I say to people, what I invite people to is to consider the possibility of writing from a real place first like really fully inhabiting your grief because it's so much more powerful that way. So even almost three decades later after Shai's death, after my daughter's death, I can write about it because I stay close to the grief Mm -hmm. because every morning I let myself feel it because I have a butsudan in my bedroom where I burn incense for her. Her ashes are there. I look at her pictures, maybe not every day. I don't look at her pictures, but I look at her pictures. They're everywhere. They're around me. They're in my office. They're in my space. I, I allow myself to think about what she should be doing that today, what she would be doing, what she would look like. Uh, yesterday, oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> yesterday at graduation, I know I'm a professor at ASU, you know, and she would be 29. And I wondered maybe if she would be getting her master's degree. And there was a little, I was the student mm-hmm. there and her name was Cheyenne and they called her name. And I literally sat there and I just, Oh, I had to put my hand on my heart, you know, because I was like, oh, I wonder what she would have studied. And I wonder what it would have been like to sit in the audience and watch her walk across the stage. And it would have been so different Mm. than my life now. And my life is beautiful now, but my life was supposed to go differently And, um, you know, I was supposed to have her and I didn't get her. And so because I allow myself to feel those things every time they come up, it makes it a lot easier to write about it. Good. Get get some some tissue. Get some tissue. (laughs) Um, I've got my boxes piled (laughs) up here, you know. (laughs) Um, 
But because I let myself stay in contact with those kinds of feelings, it really comes so much easier for me to express. I just write what I feel and I feel very deeply. I feel, I call it the presence of her absence. I feel the presence of her absence constantly. And I miss her all the time in my life. And I don't, I don't think it'll ever be different from that. And I don't need it to be different from that. But even amidst the pain, there's still a beauty. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's, I don't know. I just, Ned, I can't imagine a time when I would think of her and not feel that pain. Yeah. I, and I don't I need mean, to. That, that, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's what's beautiful to me is like your tears and the story of what happened at the graduation, this moment, you know, it's like your articulation of it is, is somehow like what captures what's beautiful in it. You know, it's obviously heartbreaking. Obviously you still are able to access the grief and have learned to live with it. And like to have that kind of present attention to it and how it gets drawn forth because of whatever's going on in your life or whatever wells up in you on a certain day, that is that like beauty expressed to me, you know, just even sharing this moment with you and having you, you know, cry and speak to that, you know, it's like, that's beautiful to me. And it's like, when did you know that right away that it needed to be talked about? I mean, that's probably even a better question. It's like, where and when was the first place you could start putting words to this? Were you journaling? Did you find a bereavement community? Did you find community that also had lost children? What was that part of your life and this journey like? Well, the the very first thing I did, it would have been July 28th, because the thing I wrote to her, I titled 33 Hours. And the very first line was, um, it's been 33 hours since your death and I have not slept a wink. And so I started writing to her, um, immediately after she died. So I kept a journal to her and I still write to her today. Um, it's much more private, much more simple than it was then. I wrote a lot. I had a lot of very big feelings and I had a lot more time back then than I am now. Um, but I talked to her in my head today. Um, but back then I wrote, um, to her, I visited the cemetery a lot, a lot. Uh, the cemetery was quite far from my house, but I drove over there. It was probably 50 minute drive, but I drove over there for a while. It was every day. And then it went to, you know, five days a week and then it went to three days a week. And then I had her disinterred. So I have her ashes at home now, but oh, wow. yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Um, but then I joined a support group <clears throat> and, um, started meeting other parents whose children died. And, uh, in many ways that was probably one of the more useful things that I did. The, the most helpful thing for me after she died were my two dogs really? Mm, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. They, they, for people that don't know, know yet, it, it's like, oh yes, the amount of time I want to make for the animals today, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would be crying and, and, you know, some family members were overwhelmed by my crying and I'm like, I'm not overwhelmed by my crying. I'm perfectly yeah. comfortable. crying. I feel like crying is like, you're, am I allowed to curse? Yes, you're allowed to curse and cry, all the the things. Crying to fucking warriors, man. I mean, fuck, you know, you have to really be brave to cry in front of people. And I don't see that as, um, uh, as, 
as being, I, I, I'm not willing to be so afraid that I can't express myself. So my, but my family wasn't comfortable with me crying. And so people were always like trying to cheer me up or let's go get a drink. Oh, that's a good idea. I don't even drink. They, people wanted to get me a drink. I'm like, I don't drink alcohol. And they were trying to get me to drink alcohol. Maybe that'll help. And, um, and, and I just didn't, I was comfortable with my tears. Even the therapist who wanted to make a referral or only saw him once wanted to make a referral to a psychiatrist. And I said, <laughs> well, 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 no. well, you were crying in therapy and the therapist was like, something's more wrong. <laughs> The therapist wow. was like, you might benefit from some drugs. And this wow. is like, I think this was two months after she died. No, mm, I'm not going to benefit. What, and what I said to this therapist was, I have earned every tear I shed and don't you dare take it away from me. And I never went back, obviously. So Yeah, for sure. But, um, but my dogs, unlike the humans in my life, would just come up and sit next to me. You know, they didn't hand me a Kleenex. They didn't, they didn't yeah. offer to buy me a drink. They didn't try to cheer me up. There wasn't any attempt to, to solace me. They just accepted mm. my sadness. Mm -hmm. uh, we could learn a lot from our animal brethren. Yeah. Um, what are your dog's names that were, that were caring for you during that time that, that were a part of your life oh. at that time? <laughs> Um, well, we had one dog named Yeller mm -hmm. and we had another dog named Tezar. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Got a name. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were very, very, very sweet mm. and very tender in a way that humans did not know how to be because I think human beings let fear get in the way of love. They're fearful of those big feelings, those big emotions and animals just aren't. They're not going to let fear get in the way of a good belly rub or a good head on the lap. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yes. I love that. Um, oh my gosh, uh, Dr. Joe, there's just so many, there's so many things that will not fit in an hour with you, but, um, I'm going to try to keep track of the stuff that mean the most to me. Um, I'm, I, first I want to acknowledge what it sounds like you were in the world at that time. Let's just stick with like how you knew you needed to cry and the way you knew it was like, um, you know, a measurement for uh, what you'd been through. It was a measurement for love and grief. Um, it sounds like, and I'm wondering by then, you know, how did you find yourself with that perspective in a culture in a time that doesn't? And I'm wondering if, you know, your parental loss at that point, losing your parents, you know, just like early grief before that, just anything you can speak to um, maybe that like has you, you said the calling of your work. And so I think some of this connects to that, right? Some of this connects to like part of the calling is because of your understanding of something early on, earlier than most. I'm going to create yeah. it for others because I get it. So um, right. I'd love to go back to that time and say like, what was already happening in your life or what did you already understand and why? That is such a great question that no one ever asked me, Ned. So um, I hadn't lost anyone. This is my first experience with grief. And I don't know how I knew, but I intuitively, I, so I had all my babies, I had natural childbirth and I just trusted my body to do what it needed to do. So I had, you know, I didn't want to interfere. I just wanted to let my body do it. Now, sometimes that goes awry, right? Sometimes it goes wonky, but I remember thinking to myself, maybe grief is a, a process 
and I have to trust myself in the process. I remember having that, you know, very few coherent thoughts back then, but that was one coherent thought. Like, like I'm going to need to learn how to trust myself. And I, I saw myself like almost a vision of myself needing to build muscle, emotional muscle. And I wrote about this actually in my journal and have spoken about it often since then that I, that when she first died, I didn't have the emotional muscle to carry, but every day when I allowed myself to feel the grief and I turned toward her instead of away from her and I sat with her pictures and I wept and I cried and I went on hikes and I held my dogs. And, um, when I did all these things fully inhabiting my grief, I was building my muscle, my emotional muscle. And I, I, I had this vision of me, you know, like literally lifting this grief and carrying it on my back. And, and I could feel that I was getting stronger and stronger. And sure, there were days that felt where I felt like, no, I need to sit down <laughs> under a shady tree, put this heavy backpack down yeah, <laughs> and give my back a rest. You know, there were days where it was just a lot, but but I could see a linear progression for me of strengthening my emotional muscles. And that, I don't, the, the gift of trusting yourself with your own emotions is a gift that only, you can only give yourself. And, um, and so when, when, Shy died and I started realizing that I had it in me, I didn't want to go through it. And I shouldn't have had to go through it, but here I am going through it. So I'm enduring, I'm bearing the unbearable, right? And then, you know, my mother died. I think my mother died four years later or six years later. And I knew I could do it. There was never, uh, there was never a doubt that I can't get through my mother's death. Mm. And my father died four years to the day after my mother died. And, and wow. I've, I've lost so many people I love, but this trust that I have in myself, you know, maybe this is, um, maybe this is a, a rather inflated sense of self, but I trust myself with all my feelings. I, there's nothing that I think that I can't handle anymore because I trust myself so much. Mm. What a great gift. Mm, my gosh. And also I do it back in a minute if my child wasn't dead. Of course. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll, of course. I've said some version of that myself. Yes, I love yeah. the trusting yourself to as a gift to yourself, but also just feeling very present to, you know, the reason why you're so busy is because of that too. It's like, you're someone to be trusted because your work I imagine then is like, how do you get people um, how do you help people trust themselves and trust their grief in a, in a world cool. that's like constantly or constantly telling them like, you got to go see a psychiatrist. Like you definitely right. need to take drugs for this, you know? Right, right. Your feelings are too big. You're feeling this too long, too intensely. You can't do this. You can't handle this. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant stream of messages about, you know, you shouldn't be feeling this way, etc. And it's very hard to trust yourself, but you know, I think, I think there's a small stilled voice in all of us. And when we hear the truth, I think mm -hmm. there's something in us that goes, oh, that's, that's my truth. That's, that resonates. Right. Yes. Right. Just like when that therapist was saying to me, you need to, you, I'm going to make a referral to a psychiatrist. I was like, there was some small, still wise, maybe ancient voice. I don't know that said, fuck that. No way. 
There's no way. Yeah. And, and so <clears throat> maybe it's that people meet me and I talk about grief or they hear me in my videos or on podcasts talking about grief and they go, or they read the book and they go, yeah, this mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. I've been this looking res- for this. I, I, this yeah. matches something. I love that ancient voice. And I feel that with the work we do is that people will show up to an event or a workshop or some kind of experience. And it's that, that feeling like I had when I did the first thing I ever did, which I want to hear your version of, but that moment when it's like, oh, this is what I was looking for. Right. You know, right. it's not just right. like, oh, I had no idea. And it, cause, right. cause of course that moment is a resonation, you know, it's like, right. it, it's resonates right. something I matches. Yeah. 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 I was just going to say that actually it's, it's in psychology, we call it resonance, right? And it's, and it's the same feeling that you get when you gaze into the eyes of a a lover, a soulmate, your child, and you look at them and you go, oh, it's that resonance. It's Mm -hmm. something in you that resonates with, with what's external to you and you take it into your beingness and it becomes part of you because it, because it, because it's resonant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even to like the sentence at the end there for me is like, it, it, it becomes part of you. It's almost like, because it is already part of you, you know, like that right. just feels so right. profound to me. And I'm, yeah. I'm and re- really listening to you, Dr. Joe is like, I'm already, I'm got tears again for all the reasons of how you're generously, um, here with me. But, um, I'm thinking of shy, you know, of course, like that you would connect this like work you do and what resonance is to like, well, a good way of describing it is like when you're with your child. And so feeling those tears again, and then compelled to ask if you want to speak to this and share this part of the story, do you feel it matters to talk about what happened with shy or does that not feel like something you want to talk about right now? No, no, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about anything. Um, I can handle okay, talking about I anything. Sense it doesn't that, mean I, cry, but, I mean, they, they, they basically, they never found the cause of death. She was a newborn baby and they don't know why she died. They did an autopsy and they never found what happened. And so I was left with big questions and zero answers. And, um, at the time, you know, I was 29 years old when she died. So she is the same age today as I was when she died. So, which, which is also a trip. I mean, I remember the day day that, yeah, I remember that actual day was not too long ago. And I, and I remember having a good cry that day. Mm -hmm. Cellular memory is a thing, by the way, I could feel it in my bones. I was like, today's an important day. Why? So anyway, um, you know, the only thing that I could deduce was that somehow it was my fault. She died. Right. Because all eyes, I'm having a baby, all eyes turn toward me, all eyes turn toward me. Okay. Do what you're supposed to do. Bring home a healthy baby. And, you know, she was eight pounds, 22 inches long and they never found a cause of death. They don't know what happened. And, um, and the only person I could blame was me. I, I, something in me, I used to call my body. I don't anymore. My body and I have come to a more of a, (laughs) more of an agreement. Uh, but I used to call my body Judas. Hmm. So, um, because my body betrayed the person, one of the people I love most in the world Mm, yeah, and gave her death instead of life. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a hard 
again, emotional muscle. I can talk about it. There was a time when this would drop me to my knees and I oh, couldn't yeah, talk I'm about sure. it. Yeah, of I course. couldn't even express it. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you know, you, you build the muscle, you write about it, you feel it, you go into it, you allow yourself to think about it. You allow the emotions that come with it. I have written her uh, hundreds of apology letters. Mm. Um, the very first one I wrote to her was probably, I don't know, 15 to 20 pages. And I just said, over and over and over again, I'm so sorry. 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 Just pages and pages and pages. And I signed it. I hope you can forgive me. I love you so much. And, um, you know, I can talk about it now. And to some degree, I, I'm okay with feeling that guilt and I'm okay with feeling that sense of responsibility. I don't expect that it's ever going to go away. You Okay. I, that yeah. matters to hear. Yeah. You know, it's like, you still can feel like part of you holding that, like, Oh, and I'm okay with that. I don't mm-hmm. need it to go away. When I, like, sometimes I say things, you know, like if I'm talking in casual conversation and I want, you know, and I, and I want to make it less than casual or maybe more than casual, you know, somebody will ask the question like, Oh, what happened to your, to your daughter who died? And I'll say, well, my, my body, technically my body killed her mm. and people will, Oh, Oh, you can't yeah. say yes. that. And oh. I, no, yes, I can say that. Mm-hmm. And yes, I can feel that. And you mm. can't colonize my emotions and my mm-hmm. experiences. I mean, I work with a father who ran over his daughter twice. Mm. He thought she was a bike. Mm. Are you going to tell him it's not his fault? Mm-hmm. Of course it's his fault. He didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. Of course it wasn't intentional. Yeah. But he made a mistake and that mistake cost his child her life. Oh my gosh, yeah. And telling him, no, it's not your fault. No, it's not your fault is just shaming him into not talking about his real feelings. Right, right. And he can't, he's never going to, that's going to be there. I mean, you talk about the cellular stuff, you know, it's like, it's going to be there. Right. It's there. It's not like any, there's no magic potion to make that go away. It does him no help to not acknowledge this thing. That's like a truth for him. Right. That's right. I mean, even him getting to like a place where I, I would expect you've worked with people and, you know, would understand anyone getting to a place where like, I absolutely have put all that down, you know, like I don't feel guilty or I have forgiven myself or I don't think about that as a mistake anymore. Somehow, like whatever it is that gets changed in the work we do by, but it only, it would take facing that feeling, you know, making room for whatever's coming up. Yeah. 100%. And then if someone says that I tell them, well, you know, just be prepared. It could, it could have been flow. You know, the reality is is when it's something that big, when it's something that catastrophic, it doesn't just go away. It goes away and then it returns. It's, it's, um, it's what, um, oh gosh, in a gift from the sea and Merle Lindbergh said it, the sea, it recedes and comes over and over and over again. And it, and she was really the whole book, a gift from the sea. That whole book is about grief, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, how, how grief ebbs and flows and guilt also ebbs and flows and shame ebbs and flows and anger ebbs and flows. All of those emotions, they move and they're constantly moving.
Hey, everybody. As promised, we like to share reviews that have been written and posted on our podcast apps we all have out in the world where you listen to the show. And so this is first, I want to say before I read a couple of these, if you want us to read your review, just go into your podcast app and rate and review the show. Leave a few words and we'll give you a nod here. Just like I'm going to give a nod here to Elise1423. Elise, the title of her review is Open Heart, five stars. I so resonate with this podcast, listening over and over to remember what is the most important to open and embrace all of life, becoming porous to the stream of heart. Thank you. Thank you, Elise1423. Another one here. This one's from Tyler1062. The title of this one is A Beautiful Podcast, five stars. I'm late to the game here. Everything you could want in a podcast. Funny, sad, thought-provoking. Thank you for making it. I like the funny nod. I I want more of that in this show because I feel like people still are talking about this thing like, dang, it is heavy. I don't know. Not sure you should listen to it because it's so intense. Okay, one more. Uh, And definitely listen to it. Okay, you're listening to it already. Tell people it's not as intense and heavy as you might expect. And we need a little bit more heavy and intense in our podcast catalog. Okay, Beth Quayle, love to Beth Quayle for this one. Title, Profound and Wise, five stars. This feels a little embarrassing to read these, I guess. (laughs) But hey, I promised episodes ago that we would read (laughs) these reviews. So this is not a show-off moment. Okay, everybody, I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed suddenly about reading these, (laughs) but I'm just going to read one more. Have you, oh, first of all, have you rated and reviewed the show yet? You can do that while I'm reading this to you. Okay. Go into your app, rate and review the show. Give us some stars, give us some words. We'll read them here on the show. Beth Quayle, profound and wise, five stars. Ned is such a gifted interviewer and the guests are so intelligently curated. Consciously attending to our, my mortality has become a source of comfort and growth in my journey towards higher consciousness. The points of view and the loving kindness exhibited in each conversation leaves me wanting to show up in my own life with even more awareness and authenticity. The music and production quality are excellent and contribute to such a rich experience overall. A deep bow to Ned and the entire YG2D crew for all the gifts they share with the world this podcast, and so much more. Because of their example, I feel like my gifts are being revealed and refined to share with the world too. We are all connected. Thank you, YG2D, for lighting a path forward. Wow. Uh, Oh my gosh. Thank you, Beth Quayle. And thank you, listeners. We're so glad to be here in your ear. So we have the Selicare farm here. We have um, lots of different species of animals. We have cows, goats, sheep, pigs, dogs, horses, donkeys, alpacas. We have every everything you can imagine except for chickens just because I can't keep them safe yet. Um, all of them are rescued, by the way. So Yeller, of course, has long since died because that was a long time ago. But 
We also have five dogs, six dogs actually here on the farm. And yeah, the dogs bring a different quality. And, and actually all the animals bring a different quality. Horses, so Chimaco, my first horse, who's the reason for the farm. Yeah, can you tell that um, story? I, I know, I know I, I'm in my usual fashion throwing four questions to you at once. So I'm going to help because uh, it's my job. Um, tell me the, tell me about the, your horse and, and how that led to the farm. And then maybe we can talk about the animals and the different ways that, that you feel they care for us. Well, it's kind of a full circle story because I'd always wanted to, to hike in this place in Northern Arizona. And right after Cheyenne died, I got, I bought a puzzle that was a just a hundred piece puzzle that of a picture, a famous picture of this particular place. It's a waterfall, beautiful, beautiful place. And I'd never been there, but I'd always wanted to go there. And I'm a big outdoorsy person. I love hiking. And, um, so I was trying to like do things with my children after she died. Cause I was, I weighed 88 pounds and couldn't get any food past the lump that was constant in my throat. So, I, we were putting together this puzzle and we got to the end of the puzzle. So it's of this place that I wanted to go to. And we got to the end of the puzzle and there was one piece missing, one single piece missing. It was just in the corner, right-hand side, but just one piece. And I told the kids, my boys were eight-ish, seven, six, eight. I said, I'll give you a dollar if you find the puzzle. But then they nobody could find it. And then I was thinking to myself, well, how perfect is this that there's a missing piece? And it's still beautiful, but there's a missing piece. And I'm like, what a metaphor for my life. Okay, so that's the place I always wanted to go. So fast forward to eight years ago. It's my 50th birthday. I just told everybody how old I am. I'm old. And so fast forward to my 50th birthday. And more than anything, I want to do this hike. So what do you want to do for your birthday? I want to go on this hike. So we're preparing six months before this hike. You know, I'm hiking, you know, because it's a grueling hike. It's, it's you know, and you got to carry your your yeah, you're bags not talking down. about like, just like we're, you know, quick Saturday, two hours, no, no, you know, you're, this no, is no. like very purposeful yeah. miles. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, and you're going down and up at Big Canyon. So, um, so we get there that morning. I am so excited to go on this hike because I wanted to do it my entire life. And because it connected a little bit to the puzzle, right? To, to my early grief. And so uh, we are probably three minutes into the trail, come across, come around the first corner and there's a horse who's fallen and his head is bleeding and his knees are bleeding and he's got a bunch of packs on his back and the handlers kicking him and punching him in the face, trying to get him up. And, uh, you know, I haven't eaten an animal since 1972. I'm an animal, fierce animal lover. And I've never seen anything like that before. And so like my head, I was like, what am I what is going on? And I started screaming at him, stop it, stop it. What are you doing? Long story short, it took me three days and a lot of fighting, but we, we ended up rescuing the horse. Yeah. Are, you, are you just like staying in this Canyon, staying in this hike, fighting no. it out? Or you got to go and like get, no. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I had, we, we actually were, um, threat threats were subtly launched at us. Wow. And um, so we had to leave. And I said to Chimaco, just, just he didn't have a name back then, but I said to him before I left, because it was really awful. You know, and, and here's the other thing too. 
we took the bags off of his back and literally his bones of uh, the, the bones of his spine were coming through his skin. You can see a video about about him. You can see his bone. Um, he was 600 pounds underweight, emaciated, near very close to death, actually. And tourists were walking by and doing this. So they didn't have to see him. And I remember thinking to myself, that's what people did to me when my daughter died. Yeah. Yeah, right. They didn't want to see the pain. Yeah, it's too much. They just wanted to have their good time. They wanted me to be who I was before. And I remember telling Dave, you asking me to leave this horse on the trail is like asking me to leave myself on the trail. I can't do it. So I told Chamaco before we left, you remember me because I'm coming back for you. <laughs> oh my God. It's a crazy story. So, and the cra the crazy part is that it took three days to get him. I was told not to come. I was advised not to come. I had created quite a stir. I made a yeah, lot of because the owner's calls. like right there, like be beating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite something. Mm -hmm. um, so I was advised not to come. Um, some law enforcement uh, officials were helping to make the transition. Uh, so when he got home, let's see, I think, I think they took possession of him around noon that day and that he didn't get home until like 7 30 PM that night. It was in April and I was there and there were like six or seven other people there waiting for him. Cause I had, I mean, I was on social media. Yeah, I'm like, the, I need help. Called you know? in the groups. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there were like seven of us or six or seven of us lined up waiting for him and um, was texting, how far out are you? How far are you? They pull up. We didn't know if he was going to be dead or alive in the trailer because there was some question as to whether or not he would survive. Right. Yeah. And, and I knew that there was a good chance that he would die anyway. <laughs> But I just wanted him to die knowing love. That's yeah, all. With you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, he got off the trailer and I have this video because I was videotaping it. He got off the trailer and he kind of looked around like confused, like, where am I? And he saw me and his eyes locked on me and he was so weak, but he let out a little whinny. <laughs> And walked right over to me. And I, oh I was gosh. so emotional. I had to stop. I had to stop filming at that point. <laughs> I got it all on film to that point. Yeah. And, uh, and he's still with us and he is strong mm. and incredible. <laughs> and he's the whole reason for the farm. Cause I was, I work with a lot of, um, native clients whose children died and, I saw that he was doing better work with them than I could. Mm. Can you tell was, me about that? Like, when did you first know this was possible? When did you, it's like, you'd seen it already. You'd seen it with your dogs. You, you know, obviously such a complex, uh, richly complex connection with, uh, is it Chamoca? Is that correct? Chamaco. Chamaco. Such a strong connection there on all the layers, you know? But then I'm like, did you have clients coming over to do work with yeah. you? And then the horse would just take over, <laughs> you know? 
that's essentially what happened. Well, (laughs) one of my native clients said after a session, can I go sit with your horse? And I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I think we'd had him two and a half, three weeks. And I said, yeah, of course Mm. she knew about his rescue. It was, I was, you know, publicly posting and blogging about his rescue. And, um, so I said, I'll put in a bench and do you want me to stay with you? And she said, no, just alone. And I was like, okay. And, and, you know, I would peek out to make sure they were okay. And Chamaco is just standing there with her and she's sobbing. She's just sobbing. He's just standing with his head bowed at her knees. And, you know, and I just knew something very powerful. I mean, without any words, you know, like completely nonverbal, pre-verbal, no words whatsoever. There's this connection. And and what's really interesting in my research, we've published eight studies on our care farm model since the care farm started. Because mm-hmm. I'm, of course, a professor. Yes. It's what I do. I publish. I, I conduct studies and I publish. And, and it's not just any animals that'll do. It's rescue animals. There's mm. something special about animals who have known fear who have known terror, who have known loss, who have experienced trauma, who have lost their family members, who have known grief. There's something that qualitatively is, and and sometimes it's inexplicable what that connection is, but it's so profound. And, oh and my that gosh. seems to make a difference. Dr. Joe, how, how do you do any interview for only an hour? How, how are you in any of these conversations? <laughs> with anyone for just this amount of time. Oh my gosh. How much stuff (laughs) is coming up? I've never heard that before. That's incredible. I think that is incredible. I think it's a testament to, to like the animal part of who we are. There's a way that you had a part of you. The way you first answered the question was like in your body, you trusted your body to have to cry that much, you know, like that that's animal to me more than it is like we're some higher level of consciousness or we're smarter you know, it's primal. Yeah. It's primal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a visceral primal and, and listen, animals have such a wisdom about them. They have such a wisdom about them. They know, they know the storm's coming before we know a storm's coming. We have dampened our sense of intuition, our sense of knowing, our sense of uh, environmental milieu awareness, inner awareness, endogenous and and exogenous awareness. We are so unaware and most of us walk through our lives asleep and these animals are so in tune with everything. And that's, and so our entire farm is built on a principle of ahimsa or the Greeks, the Greeks called it henosis or anima mundi, oneness, Yes, right? Oneness with all that has suffered. And so we're sustainable and you know, you have, you can't eat animals here. You can't eat animal products here. I mean, that, that makes no sense. Um, and, and, you know, we create a space where people have the opportunity to get that awareness back, that mm. primal, the primal grief is there. That primal longing is there. That primal connection to our beloved dead is there. Now connect to where you are here in this moment, connect to these animals, to the trees, to the sky, to the sun, to the moon, to the rocks, to the grass. It's incredible what happens here with people. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, thank you for sharing all this, Dr. Joe. It feels very, very You're honored welcome. to like receive the story and 
and all your like passion and your, yeah, your tears and your hilarity too. I was just thinking about what you said where you said, you know, I don't know what ancient voice it was. Maybe it was ancient, but it was like, fuck this, you know, like it's just that the ancient voice would be like, fucking let's do this. <laughs> let's, let's go. Um, and, and I love in some of your descriptions online for how you're in the world, which is just joyful and, and, you know, like knowing you have access to that, like aliveness because of all of what you said yes to, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so it means a lot to, I'm just, again, saying thank you for this time. And it's, it's feeling like uh, very meaningful to be able to chat with you about this stuff. Um, I want to go back to, uh, the part now then is this like farm now as it is with all these animals and wondering about if there is something to say about the different ways certain animals can be with us, which also maybe in your studies, you found like this animal definitely knows a certain kind of trauma that this other animal, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about animals, knowing what it means to care or be present with people in healing ways, or, and I don't know about knowing, but like being in the world in that way, maybe also there's specific stuff that comes up in that Yeah. Well, and, and you had asked about that earlier. So the horses, and and this is really interesting. Horses have a depth to them that, uh, the, the, the goats, um, the goats have a levity to them. The goat, the horses have a depth to them. So when someone, so there are different clients who are drawn to different animals. So we have a client who perhaps doesn't trust him or herself with some very big emotions and just has a session and it's very emotionally intense. They might want to go and sit with the goats because the goats bring a little bit of levity. They bring a little Mm -hmm. lightness. And Mm -hmm. if someone's having a hard time coping or feeling very heavy, the goats open them up. Okay. Mm -hmm. The horses bring you down deeper. So when you're standing Chamaco, especially Chamaco is very deep and not everyone can relate to him. He is very, 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 very deep. But we also have 10 other horses. Well, so, re- re- and-, and I guess part of what you're saying there too is like someone might not relate to that because you described a version of that, right? Someone who's, that's too intense or, or, or. Right. That's so much what they want is like, they need the, the lightning, they need the lift up or maybe some other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And then there's the specific personalities within the species. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. Because we have, um, Gretel, one of our goats, for example, um, who is very, very sweet and very shy. And once, once all the other goats go away, all the other goats have gotten attention and love. Gretel's just waiting patiently. And when everybody else goes away and starts eating the willow trees, she'll come and sit next to you and just put her head on your lap. So they each have different personalities too. Um, you know, Marta brings, Marta, one of our goats, brings a, a, a total playfulness. Um, and so people like tend to, when they're interacting with Marta, they tend to want to run around with her. Yeah. She's very <laughs> bouncy. Um, we have a horse named Scout who we call our punk. And he he brings a depth that horses bring, but he does it in a, in a more playful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chamaco is much more serious. Mm-hmm. Chamaco is much more serious. Um, and Stormy somewhere in, in between. So, so they, they, it's, yeah, it's interesting because it's their species, but then it's also their individual personalities. Yeah, right, right. I think 
people think farm animals are these blobs who have no personality. Not true at all. I Even their voices are different. I know one goat's bleep yes, from the other goat. I can tell yeah. who's calling. Mm-hmm. And and some of them are more prone to loneliness than mm-hmm. others. So some of them are are a bit are sometimes are alone. They they like to seek solitude, but then they get lonely too. So they are like sometimes they self sabotage. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? That's anybody for me for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anybody? I mean, I do the same. Yeah. too. So, so I mean, they have these unique personalities. They are quite complex in terms of their experiences of the world, their personalities and characteristics, and also their emotions, the way that they feel and the way that they present. Mm. It's. It's really, our animals are magic and they're not magic because they're here. They're magic because they've been treated with such love and such compassion and such respect that they've been able to blossom into who they really are. That feels so, so wonderfully surprising and important. And I don't mean like, oh my gosh, I don't believe it. I mean, like, I just didn't expect that element. The The rescue is a particular, it's not just like you just want the animals to have been rescued. It's like, that's part of what makes what's possible at, at the farm. That's right. And they acknowledge then that the element of what what care it takes to have them be that way, um, that reciprocal yeah exchange um, yeah. between you and you know the people you know I imagine there's others running the farm yes. helping the, on the farm yeah yeah the models built uh, in in one of the aspects of the model is egalitarianism right so the animals here are as important as the humans who come here. They're never forced to do anything they don't want to do except get medical care. Um, They're never forced to interact with anyone. They're never haltered and made to go in a circle or something. We don't, we're not bending them to our will. Yeah. They just get to be who they are. And, and like human beings, when we're accepted for who we are, we blossom. That's it. Yeah. That's it. To come into our own. I just have this vision of like a man, you know, I'm just throwing it out there and you could be like, that's a hilarious idea. But I also am kind of like wondering about specific occurrences that you could share specific stories. But I'm like imagining some man thinking of our culture, you know, especially what it means to be a man and try to keep it together and not express emotion. And um, you got a guy going out and being with one of the goats and just suddenly like prancing and dancing around, you know, with tears running down his face, you know, like I'm imagining these moments where suddenly the animal gives the human permission to do something that they've never, ever been able to do before in their whole life. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it, and it, and it happens. I was working with a young man whose sibling died. He's 17, 18 ish. And uh, doesn't didn't want therapy. Had already been to every therapist you can imagine. Didn't want to talk to a therapist. Mom said, "Okay, let's go to the farm." So brings him to the farm. So we go into the horse stall. Me and this young man. I say, you know, I say, of course we don't have to talk. He's like, I don't want to talk. And I was like, oh, of course we don't have to talk about anything. Would you like to brush a horse? Have you ever brushed a horse? No. Would you like to? Yeah. I bring Caspian in and Chimaco in. I'm with Chimaco. I got him with Caspian, one of our other horses. And he's brushing Cass and I'm brushing Chimaco and I'm facing away from him and he's facing away from me. 
So I'm on the right side of Chivaco. He's on the left side of Caspian. And just brushing, I teach him, give him some instruction, tell him, watch his feet, you know, safety stuff, right? But then he's brushing and I'm brushing and I'm just quiet. And not even five, 10 minutes into him brushing, he starts talking. Tells me everything. Everything just completely opens up. And that, that's the magic that happens here every single day. I have a bereaved father who was here who had been on painkillers for back pain since his son died. And he started coming here regularly and got off the painkillers because he'd stopped having back pain. We carry our losses in our emotional, physical, spiritual, existential bodies. And we have to have a place for that, for those emotions to be liberated, seen, felt, respected, processed, imagined, you know, witnessed. So much gratitude to Dr. Joanne Cacciatore. Go to the show notes, get all the links. I'll put a bunch of stuff in there so you all can connect up to her and her work. What a sweet conversation. I've been feeling, Nick, hi. 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 This is to you. This is to you. I've been feeling, <laughs> I've been feeling the like, <laughs> sorry, I know. I surprised you. Um, this is for all of us. This is for all of us. But for you, it's for our talking right now. I want to say I've been feeling this like pet acknowledgement, animal acknowledgement coming in the podcast, you know, like a place for us to kind of, kind of make room. And I know there's more to come, you know, I feel like I've been connected to some, some vets and, and people that work with animals on Instagram, feeling the need for like a whole episode around losing a pet and grief around that. But this feels like a specific version of it, like animals, uh, how they very naturally might like offer us what we need during times of loss, when we need healing, when we need presence. So I'm really glad I got to talk to talk to Dr. Joe here. This just came up. I was just talking about this last night. It comes up for me in my writing workshops, in the tea services I do, where there's an invitation to talk about something heartbreaking or about your grief. And every now and then somebody will say, well, I have something that's really on my heart, but it's just a pet, you know? And there's like an apology of like, does this count? And anytime they do that, there's a flood afterward of people. They're like, oh my God, my cat died and I, I couldn't get over it. There's this extra shame or feeling that it doesn't qualify as enough grief, you know, when a pet dies. Um, and linked to like everything that they offer, you know, um, being so meaningful. And as, That's right. as she was saying, just so wordless and no judgment, no handkerchiefs, just... I'm just sitting next to you, you know, and that the, I, those two things are connected. I think like the, the, what they provide wordlessly and then how short their lives are relative to ours. And then they're gone and you feel like, can I take off work because of this? Is this okay to grieve mm -hmm. this? Yeah. yeah. I feel the, I appreciate the bridge you made, you know, for us right there. Cause I think the, like I've said, having a guest on the show to talk about what it means to lose a pet, the significance of it, um, 
that that we need time for that, you know, in a conversation too. Uh, and you you already made that bridge back to, well, part of why is because of the significance of these beings in our life. There's this John O'Donohue blessing that I've read quite a few times in my workshops and offered to people in my life who uh, have lost a, a pet. And it is that acknowledgement. You know, John O'Donohue in his book of blessings to bless the space between us, it's it's just a, an acknowledgement for animal being more than it is like a blessing or an acknowledgement for losing an animal. Um, but then why send that to people who have been in that kind of loss or in that kind of loss is because I want to say like, this is why you're feeling this way. This acknowledges this animal's like place in your life and, and the significance of it in ways that are beyond like human capacity, you know, like we are so, so in our head and so in the, like, what's the way to fix things and what's the thing to get done. And just to have like a, a living thing that is so present with you. Uh, and I know there's far more reasons and, and complexities to why these animals matter in our lives, all of our pets. Um, but that, that just that alone feels so huge, especially in this kind of conversation we're often in, right? Which is what does it mean to like be with each other in the stuff that's hard and the animals like are better at that than anything. Some animals, I guess. Yeah. And how simple it is that it doesn't need words. I mean, I, I don't know practically what that looks like if, if to humans, you know, like you're trying to comfort a, a fellow human, if you can just <laughs> sit next to them wordlessly. I, I, I think when I think about my grief, I think I would love that in a lot of cases, if you could get past any awkwardness or feeling like, why aren't we talking? That's kind of all you need is just to know that somebody else is there and they're just know that you're having a hard time, you know? Yeah. I feel like, I've said this to you that I'm, that I may be getting into a stage of life where a, a dog awaits, maybe even a cat, <laughs> which, which is wild because that just is not something in, in the earlier years of my life that I thought I would want. But part of why, I don't know, this is just coming up for me is, is this way that an animal can help us like be with ourselves and, and and, and me feeling like this stage of life that I, that I, I think I have addressed and I, I'm, I'm like bringing up in some of the spaces I'm facilitating to and feeling a lot right now coming into middle age or being in middle age, um, that there's like internal work that I've not been doing enough of and that animals might like help us with that. I don't know. I, this is like a question more than it is a certainty, but I wonder if it connects for me, you know, like an intuition that that's what I need is something that like has presence enough to like, let me be with what is hold what hurts, be what's complicated inside me, be with, with, with what's unresolved. Um, and, and know like a real deep presence is, is only going to be found maybe in the best ways with, with an animal companion, you know, um, especially when my kids, you know, are out of the house. Yeah. You know, at some point in my life, you know, we should have gotten a sponsorship from a pet adoption company or something for this episode. <laughs> you're, 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 everybody you're, you're hears you're talking to be like, Oh my God, I want a dog. And by the way, yeah. And by the way, SFPCA, <laughs> uh, I mean, that is a shout out. We've done events before for loss of a pet. And I think we will, again, we're, we're doing a lot of these themed shows peppered in between our, our regular general open mics, uh, here in San Francisco. And, uh, I, I've been feeling the need for, a uh, a, a show for the loss of 
a pet um, for a while now. But we did do a collaboration with SFPCA on the uh, other side of the pandemic where we did an open mic and we also facilitated a, an event for their staff, um, a few hundred of their staff around like grief and and being in what's hard. And and so uh, th- this is an unofficial shout out, non-sponsor shout out to the SFPCA or any local uh organization that's trying to place these little animals, these living things in the right families. Well, uh, thank you again to Dr. Joe. Thank you, Nick. Thanks to my future, uh, dog companion or cat companion. I'm just feeling you headed my way. Uh, and thanks to all of you and any of you pets are listening right now. Just thanks for tuning in pets. We're glad you're here. Appreciate your presence. Hope you keep listening in the episodes to come. Bye, everybody.